1. A smaller history of Rome, from the earliest times to the establishment of the Empire, by William Smith, LL.D. with a continuation to AD 479, by Eugene Lawrence, A.N. Notice. The present history has been drawn up chiefly for the lower forms in schools, at the request of several teachers, and is intended to arrange with the author's smaller history of Greece. It will be followed by a similar history of England. The author is indebted in this work to several of the more important articles upon Roman history in the Dictionary of Greek and Roman Biography. History of Rome. Chapter I. Geography of Italy Early Inhabitants. Italy is the central one of the three great peninsulas which project from the south of Europe into the Mediterranean Sea. It is bounded on the north by the chain of the Alps, which form a natural barrier, and it is surrounded on other sides by the sea. Its shores are washed on the west by the Marinthrum, or the Lower Sea, and on the east by the Adriatic, called by the Romans the Marsiprum, or the Upper Sea. It may be divided into two parts, the northern consisting of the great plain drained by the river Padus or Po, and its tributaries, and the southern being a long tongue of land, with the Apennines as a backbone running down its whole extent from north to south. The extreme length of the peninsula from the Alps to the Straits of Messina is 700 miles, the breadth of northern Italy is 350 miles, while that of the southern portion is on an average not more than 100 miles, but, till the time of the Empire, the Romans never included the plain of the Po in Italy. To this country they gave the general name of Gaelliacisalpiana, or Gaul on this the Roman side of the Alps, in consequence of its being inhabited by Gauls. The westernmost portion of the plain was peopled by Ligurian tribes, and was therefore called Eligiuri, while its eastern extremity formed the Roman province of the Enigiae. The name Idiaelia was originally applied to a very small tract of country. It was at first confined to the southern portion of Calabria and was gradually extended northward, till about the time of the Punic Wars it indicated the whole peninsula south of the rivers Rubicon and Macra, the former separating Cisalpine Gaul and Umbria, the latter Liguria and Etruria. Italy, properly so called, is a very mountainous country, being filled out more or less by the broad mass of the Apennines, the offshoots or lateral branches of which, in some parts, descend quite to the sea but in others leave a considerable space of level or low country, excluding the plain of the Po. It was divided into the following districts, 1. Iguri, which extended along the coast of the lower sea from the river Macra on the north to the Tiber on the south. Inland, the Tiber also formed its eastern boundary, dividing it first from Umbria, afterward from the Sabines, and, lastly, from Latium. Its inhabitants were called Etrusci, or Tusci the latter form being still preserved in the name of Tuscany. Besides the Tiber it possesses only one other river of any importance, the Arnus, or Arno, upon which the city of Florence now stands. Of its lakes the most considerable is the Lacus Trasiminus, about 36 miles in circumference, celebrated for the great victory which Hannibal there gained over the Romans. 2. UNBRI, situated to the east of Etruria, and extending from the valley of the Tiber to the shores of the Adriatic. It was separated on the north from Galeasa Salpina by the Rubicon, and on the south by the Aces from Pisanum, and by the Nar from the Sabines. 3. The Icenium extended along the Adriatic from the mouth of the Aces to that of the Matrinus and inland as far as the central ridge of the Apennines. It was bounded on the north by Umbria, on the south by the Vestini, and on the west by Umbria and the Sabini. Its inhabitants, the Pisans, were a Sabine race 
as is mentioned below. 4. The Asabian I inhabited the rugged mountain country in the central chain of the Apennines, lying between Etruria, Umbria, Pisanum, Latium, and the country of the Marsi and Vestini. They were one of the most ancient races of Italy, and the progenitors of the far more numerous tribes which, under the names of Pisans, Peligni, and Samnites, spread themselves to the east and south. Modern writers have given the general name of Sabellians to all these tribes. The Sabines, like most other mountaineers, were brave, hardy, and frugal, and even the Romans looked up to them with admiration on account of their proverbial honesty and temperance. 5. The Avarusi, Pelagiani, Vestiani, and Avarusiani inhabited the valleys of the central Apennines, and were closely connected, being probably all of Sabine origin. The Avarusi dwelt inland around the basin of the Lake Fusinus, which is about 30 miles in circumference, and the only one of any extent in the central Apennines. The Pelagiani also occupied an inland district east of the Avarusi. The Vestiani dwelt east of the Sabines, and possessed on the coast of the Adriatic a narrow space between the mouth of the Matrinus and that of the Eternus, a distance of about 6 miles. The Avarusiani inhabited a narrow strip of country on the Adriatic east of the Peligni, and were bounded on the north by the Vestini and on the south by the Frentani. 6. The Afariandiani dwelt upon the coast of the Adriatic from the frontiers of the Marosini to those of Apulia. They were bounded on the west by the Samnites, from whom they were originally descended, but they appear in Roman history as an independent people. 7. Elidiaium was used in two senses. It originally signified only the land of the Latini, and was a country of small extent. Bounded by the Tiber on the north, by the Apennines on the east, by the sea on the west, and by the Alban hills on the south. But after the conquest of the Volscians, Hernisai, Equians, and other tribes, originally independent, the name of Latium was extended to all the country which the latter had previously occupied. It was thus applied to the whole region from the borders of Etruria to those of Campania, or from the Tiber to the Lyris. The original abode of the Latins is of volcanic origin. The Alban Mountains are a great volcanic mass, and several of the craters have been filled with water, forming lakes, of which the Alban Lake is one of the most remarkable. The plain in which Rome stands, now called the Campana, is not an unbroken level, but a broad undulating tract, intersected by numerous streams, which have cut themselves deep channels through the soft volcanic tufa of which the soil is composed. The climate of Latium was not healthy even in ancient times. The malaria of the campaign renders Rome itself unhealthy in the summer and autumn, and the Pontine marshes, which extend along the coast in the south of Latium for a distance of 30 miles, are still more pestilential. 8. Campania extended along the coast from the Lyris, which separated it from Latium, to the Silurus, which formed the boundary of Lucania. It is the fairest portion of Italy. The greater part of it is an unbroken plain celebrated in ancient as well as in modern times for its extraordinary beauty and fertility. The Bay of Naples formerly called Sinus Cumanus and Pudiolanus, from the neighboring cities of Cumi and Pudioli is one of the most lovely spots in the world, and the softness of its climate, as well as the beauty of its scenery, attracted the Roman nobles, who had numerous villas along its coasts. 9. Samnium was an inland district, bounded on the north by the Marsi and Peligni on the east by the Frentani and Apulia, on the west by Latium and Campania, and on the south by Lucania, it is a mountainous country, being entirely filled with the masses of the Apennines, its inhabitants, 
the Samnites, were of Sabine origin, as has been already mentioned, and they settled in the country at a comparatively late period. They were one of the most warlike races in Italy, and carried on a long and fierce struggle with the Romans. 10. Apuliae extended along the coast of the Adriatic from the Frentani on the north to Calabria on the south, and was bounded on the west by the Apennines, which separated it from Samnium and Lucania. It consists almost entirely of a great plain, sloping down from the Apennines to the sea. 11. Calabria formed the heel of Italy, lying south of Apulia, and surrounded on every other side by the sea. It contains no mountains, and only hills of moderate elevation, the Apennines running to the southwest through Lucania and the Brutii. 12. Eleusiaeania was bounded on the north by Campania and Samnium, on the east by Apulia, and on the south by the Brutii. The Apennines run through the province in its whole extent. The Lucanians were a branch of the Samnite nation, which separated from the main body of that people, and pressed on still farther to the south. 13. The Brudii inhabited the southern extremity of Italy, lying south of Lucania, and, like Lucania, their country is traversed throughout by the chain of the Apennines. Italy has been in all ages renowned for its beauty and fertility, the lofty ranges of the Apennines and the seas which bathe its shores on both sides, contribute at once to temper and vary its climate, so as to adapt it for the productions alike of the temperate and the warmest parts of Europe. In the plains on either side of the Apennines corn is produced in abundance, olives flourish on the southern slopes of the mountains, and the vine is cultivated in every part of the peninsula, the vineyards of northern Campania being the most celebrated in antiquity. The early inhabitants of Italy may be divided into three great classes the Italians proper, the Yapigians, and the Etruscans, who are clearly distinguished from each other by their respective languages. 1. The Italians proper inhabited the center of the peninsula. They were divided into two branches, the Latins and the Umbrosabellians, including the Umbrians, Sabines, Samnites, and their numerous colonies, the dialects of the Latins and Umbrosabellians though marked by striking differences, still show clearest evidence of a common origin, and both are closely related to the Greek. It is evident that at some remote period a race migrated from the east, embracing the ancestors of both the Greeks and Italians that from it the Italians branched off and that they again were divided into the Latins on the west and the Umbrians and Sibelians on the east. 2. The Yapigians dwelt in Calabria, in the extreme southeast corner of Italy. Inscriptions in a peculiar language have here been discovered, clearly showing that the inhabitants belonged to a different race from those whom we have designated as the Italians. They were doubtless the oldest inhabitants of Italy, who were driven toward the extremity of the peninsula as the Latins and Sibelians pressed farther to the south. 3. The Etruscans, or, as they called themselves, Raisina, form a striking contrast to the Latins and Sibelians as well as to the Greeks. Their language is radically different from the other languages of Italy, and their manners and customs clearly prove them to be a people originally quite distinct from the Greek and Italian races. Their religion was of a gloomy character, delighting in mysteries and in wild and horrible rites. Their origin is unknown. Most ancient writers relate that the Etruscans were Lydians who had migrated by sea from Asia to Italy, but this is very improbable, and it is now more generally believed that the Etruscans descended into Italy from the Rhetian Alps. It is expressly stated by ancient writers that the Rhetians were Etruscans, and that they spoke the same language, while their name is perhaps the same as that of Raisina, the native name of the Etruscans, in more ancient times, before the Roman dominion. 
the Etruscans inhabited not only the country called Etruria, but also the great plain of the Po. As far as the foot of the Alps, here they maintained their ground till they were expelled or subdued by the invading Gauls. The Etruscans, both in the north of Italy and to the south of the Apennines, consisted of a confederacy of twelve cities, each of which was independent, possessing the power of even making war and peace on its own account. In Etruria proper Volsinii was regarded as the metropolis. Besides these three races, two foreign races also settled in the peninsula in historical times. These are the Greeks and the Gauls. 4. The Greeks planted so many colonies upon the coasts of southern Italy that they gave to that district the name of Magna Graecia, the most ancient, and, at the same time, the most northerly Greek city in Italy, was Cumae in Campania. Most of the other Greek colonies were situated farther to the south, where many of them attained to great power and opulence. Of these, some of the most distinguished were Tarentum, Sibaris, Croton, and Megapontum. 5. The Gauls, as we have already said, occupied the greater part of northern Italy, and were so numerous and important as to give to the whole basin of the Po the name of Galliasa Salpina. They were of the same race with the Gauls who inhabited the country beyond the Alps, and their migration and settlement in Italy were referred by the Roman historian to the time of the Tarquins. Footnote 2, the name, Brutime, given to the country by modern writers on ancient geography, is not found in any classical author. Chapter II, The First Four Kings of Rome, B.C. 753-616. The history of Rome is that of a city which originally had only a few miles of territory, and gradually extended its dominions at first over Italy and then over the civilized world. The city lay in the central part of the peninsula, on the left bank of the Tiber, and about 15 miles from its mouth. Its situation was upon the borders of three of the most powerful races in Italy, the Latins, Sabines, and Etruscans, though originally a Latin town, it received at an early period a considerable Sabine population, which left a permanent impression upon the sacred rites and religious institutions of the people. The Etruscans exercised less influence upon Rome, though it appears nearly certain that a part of its population was of Etruscan origin, and that the Tutarquins represent the establishment of an Etruscan dynasty at Rome. The population of the city may therefore be regarded as one of mixed origin consisting of the three elements of Latins, Sabines, and Etruscans, but the last in much smaller proportion than the other two. That the Latin element predominated over the Sabine is also evident from the fact that the language of the Romans was a Latin and not a Sabellian dialect. The early history of Rome is given in an unbroken narrative by the Roman writers, and was received by the Romans themselves as a faithful record of facts, but it can no longer be regarded in that light. Not only is it full of marvelous tales and poetical embellishments, of contradictions and impossibilities, but it wants the very foundation upon which all history must be based. The reader, therefore, must not receive the history of the first four centuries of the city as a statement of undoubted facts, though it has unquestionably preserved many circumstances which did actually occur. It is not until we come to the war with Pyrrhus that we can place full reliance upon the narrative as a trustworthy statement of facts. With this caution we now proceed to relate the celebrated legends of the foundation and early history of home. Aeneas, son of Anchises and Venus, fled after the fall of Troy to seek a new home in a foreign land. He carried with him his son Ascanes, the Penates or household gods, and the Palladium of Troy. Upon reaching the coast of Latium he was kindly received by Latinus, the king of the country, who gave him his daughter Lavinia in marriage. Aeneas now built a city, which he named Lavinium. 
in honor of his wife. But Lavinia had been previously promised to Turnus, the leader of the Rutulians. This youthful chief, enraged at the insult, attacked the strangers. He was slain, however, by the hands of Aeneas, but in a new war which broke out three years afterward the Trojan hero disappeared amid the waters of the river Numises, and was henceforward worshipped under the name of Jupiter Indiges, or, God of the Country, Ascanes, who was also called Ulysses, removed from Lavinium thirty years after its foundation, and built Albalanga, or the, Long White City, on a ridge of the Alban Mount about fifteen miles southeast of Rome. It became the most powerful city in Latium, and the head of a confederacy of Latin cities. Twelve kings of the family of Aeneas succeeded Ascanes. The last of these, named Procas, left two sons, Numitor and Amulis. Amulis, the younger, seized the kingdom, and Numitor, who was of a peaceful disposition, made no resistance to his brother, Amulis, fearing lest the children of Numitor might not submit so quietly to his usurpation, caused his only son to be murdered and made his daughter, Rhea Silvia, one of the best old virgins, who were compelled to live and die unmarried, but the maiden became, by the god Mars, the mother of twins, she was, in consequence, put to death, because she had broken her vow, and her babes were doomed to be drowned in the river, the Tiber had overflowed its banks far and wide, and the cradle in which the babes were placed was stranded at the foot of the Palatine, and overturned on the root of a wild fig tree, a she-wolf, which had come to drink of the stream, carried them into her den hard by, and suckled them, and when they wanted other food, the woodpecker, a bird sacred to Mars, brought it to them, at length, this marvelous spectacle was seen by Faustulus, the king's shepherd, who took the children home to his wife, Achillerandia, they were called Romulus and Remus, and grew up along with the sons of their foster parents on the Palatine Hill, a quarrel arose between them and the herdsmen of Numitor, who stalled their cattle on the neighboring hill of the Aventine. Remus was taken by a stratagem, and carried off to Numitor. His age and noble bearing made Numitor think of his grandsons, and his suspicions were confirmed by the tale of the marvelous nurture of the twin brothers. Soon afterward Romulus hastened with his foster father to Numitor, suspicion was changed into certainty, and the old man recognized them as his grandsons. They now resolved to avenge the wrongs which their family had suffered. With the help of their faithful comrades they slew Amulis, and placed Numitor on the throne. Romulus and Remus loved their old abode, and therefore left Alba to found a city on the banks of the Tiber. But a dispute arose between the brothers where the city should be built, and after whose name it should be called. Romulus wished to build it on the Palatine, Remus on the Aventine. It was agreed that the question should be decided by the gods, and each took his station on the top of his chosen hill awaiting the pleasure of the gods by some striking sign. The night passed away, and as the day was dawning Remus saw six vultures, but at sunrise, when these tidings were brought to Romulus, twelve vultures flew by him, each claimed the augury in his own favor, but the shepherds decided for Romulus, and Remus was therefore obliged to yield. 1. Reign of Romulus. B.C. 753-716. Romulus now proceeded to mark out the boundaries of his city. He yoked a bullock and a heifer to a plow, and drew a deep furrow round the Palatine. This formed the sacred limits of the city, and was called the Pomoine. To the original city on the Palatine was given the name of Roma Quadrata, or Square Rome. To distinguish it from the one which subsequently extended over the seven hills, Rome is said to have been founded on the 21st of April, 753 years before the Christian era, 
on the line of the Pomoim Romulus began to raise a wall. One day Remus leapt over it in scorn, whereupon Romulus slew him, exclaiming, So thy whosoever hereafter shall leap over my walls. Romulus now found his people too few in numbers. Accordingly, lie set apart on the Capitoline Hill an asylum, or a sanctuary, in which homicides and runaway slaves might take refuge. The city thus became filled with men, but they wanted women, and the inhabitants of the neighboring cities refused to give their daughters to such an outcast race. Romulus accordingly resolved to obtain by force what he could not obtain by treaty. He proclaimed that games were to be celebrated in honor of the god Consus, and invited his neighbors, the Latins and Sabines, to the festival. Suspecting no treachery, they came in numbers with their wives and children, but the Roman youths rushed upon their guests and carried off the virgins. The parents returned home and prepared for vengeance. The inhabitants of three of the Latin towns, Senina, Antemne and Crustumarium, took up arms one after the other, but were defeated by the Romans. Romulus slew with his own hand Akron, king of Senina, and dedicated his arms and armor, as Spalia to Jupiter. These were offered when the commander of one army slew with his own hand the commander of another, and were only gained twice afterward in Roman history. At last Titus Tatis, the king of Cures, the most powerful of the Sabine states, marched against Rome. His forces were so great that Romulus, unable to resist him in the field, was obliged to retire into the city. Besides the city on the Palatine, Romulus had also fortified the top of the Capitoline Hill, which he entrusted to the care of Tarpeus. But his daughter Tarpia, dazzled by the golden bracelets of the Sabines, promised to betray the hill to them if they would give her what they wore on their left arms. Her offer was accepted. In the night time she opened a gate and let in the enemy. But when she claimed her reward they threw upon her the shields which they wore on their left arms, and thus crushed her to death. One of the heights of the Capitoline Hill preserved her name, and it was from the Tarpian rock that traitors were afterward hurled down. On the next day the Romans endeavored to recover the hill. A long and desperate battle was fought in the valley between the Palatine and the Capitoline. At one time the Romans were driven before the enemy, when Romulus vowed a temple to Jupiter Stator, the stair of flight, whereupon his men took courage and returned again to the combat. At length the Sabine women, who were the cause of the war, rushed in between them, and prayed their husbands and fathers to be reconciled. Their prayers were heard, the two people not only made peace, but agreed to form only one nation. The Romans dwelt on the Palatine under their king Romulus, the Sabines on the Capitoline under their king Titus Tatis. The two kings and their senates met for deliberation in the valley between the two hills, which was hence called Comedium, or the place of meeting, and which afterward became the Roman Forum. But this union did not last long. Titus Tatis was slain at Lavinium by some Latins to whom he had refused satisfaction for outrages committed by his kinsmen. Henceforward Romulus ruled alone over both Romans and Sabines. He reigned, in all, thirty-seven years. One day, as he was reviewing his people in the Campus Martis, near the Goat's Fool, the sun was suddenly eclipsed, and a dreadful storm dispersed the people. When daylight returned Romulus had disappeared for his father Mars had carried him up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Shortly afterward he appeared in more than mortal beauty to the senator Proculus Sabinus, and bade him tell the Romans to worship him under the name of the god Quirinus. As Romulus was regarded as the founder of Rome, its most ancient political institutions and the organization of the people were ascribed to him by the popular belief. I the Roman people consisted only of patricians and their clients. 
the patricians formed the populus Romanus, or sovereign people. They alone had political rights, the clients were entirely dependent upon them. A patrician had a certain number of clients attached to him personally. To these he acted as a patronus or patron. He was bound to protect the interests of the client both in public and private, while the client had to render many services to his patron. The I. The patricians were divided by Romulus into three tribes, the Rams, or Romans of Romulus, the Tychies, or Sabines of Titus Tabis, and the Luciers, or Etruscans of Seals, a Lucuma or Etruscan noble, who assisted Romulus in the war against the Sabines. Each tribe was divided into ten curiae, and each curiae into ten gents. The thirty curiae formed the Comitia Curiata, a sovereign assembly of the patricians. This assembly elected the king made the laws, and decided in all cases affecting the life of a citizen. To assist him in the government Romulus selected a number of aged men, forming a senate, or council of elders, who were called paters, or senators. It consisted at first of 100 members, which number was increased to 200 when the Sabines were incorporated in the state. The 20 curiae of the Rams and Tychies each sent 10 members to the senate, but the Luciers were not yet represented. The Iot. Each of the three tribes was bound to furnish 1,000 men for the infantry and 100 men for the cavalry. Thus 3,000 foot soldiers and 300 horse soldiers formed the original army of the Roman state, and were called a legion. 2. Reign of the Nuanapio and Pialius. B.C. 716-673. On the death of Romulus, the Senate, at first, would not allow the election of a new king. The senators enjoyed the royal power in rotation as in regis or between kings, in this way a year passed, but the people at length insisted that a king should be chosen, and the senate were obliged to give way. The choice fell upon the wise and pious Numa Pompilis, a native of the Sabine Cures who had married the daughter of Tadis. The forty-three years of Numa's reign glided away in quiet happiness without any war or any calamity. As Romulus was the founder of the political institutions of Rome, so Numa was the author of the religious institutions. Instructed by the Nymphaduria, whom he met in the sacred grove of Arisha, he instituted the Pontiffs, four in number, with a Pontifex Maximus at their head, who had the general superintendence of religion, the Augurs, also four in number, who consulted the will of the gods on all occasions, both private and public, three flamens, each of whom attended to the worship of separate deities Jupiter, Mars, and Quirinus, four Vestal Virgins who kept alive the sacred fire of Vesta brought from Albalanga, and twelve Salii, or priests of Mars, who had the care of the sacred shields. Numa reformed the calendar, encouraged agriculture, and marked out the boundaries of property, which he placed under the care of the god Terminus. He also built the temple of Janus, a god represented with two heads looking different ways. The gates of this temple were to be opened during war and closed in time of peace. 3. Reign of Tuelius Hors the Iolius, B.C. 673-641. Upon the death of Numa an interregnum again followed, but soon afterward Tullius Hostilis, a Roman, was elected king. His reign was as warlike as that of Numa had been peaceful. The most memorable event in it is the destruction of Albalanga, a quarrel having arisen between the two cities, and their armies having been drawn up in array against each other. The princes determined to avert the battle by a combat of champions chosen from each army. There were in the Roman army three brothers, born at the same birth, named Horatii, and in the Alban army, in like manner, three brothers, born at the same birth, and called Coriatii. The two sets of brothers were chosen as champions, 
and it was agreed that the people to whom the conquerors belonged should rule the other. Two of the Horatii were slain, but the three Koreatii were wounded, and the surviving Horatius, who was an Hurt, had recourse to stratagem. He was unable to contend with the Koreatii united, but was more than a match for each of them separately, taking to flight. He was followed by his three opponents at an equal distances, suddenly turning round. He slew, first one, then the second, and finally the third. The Romans were declared the conquerors, and the Albans their subjects, but a tragical event followed, as Horatius was entering Rome, bearing his threefold spoils. His sister met him, and recognized on his shoulders the cloak of one of the Curiaceae, her betrothed lover. She burst into such passionate grief that the anger of her brother was kindled, and, stabbing her with his sword, he exclaimed, So perish every Roman woman who bewails a foe. For this murder he was condemned by the two judges of blood to be hanged upon the fatal tree, but he appealed to the people, and they gave him his life. Shortly afterward Tullius Hostilis made war against the Etruscans of Fidini and Vi. The Albans, under their dictator Metius Thufides, followed him to the war as the subjects of Rome. In the battle against the Etruscans, the Alban dictator, faithless and insolent, withdrew to the hills, but when the Etruscans were defeated he descended to the plain, and congratulated the Roman king. Tullius pretended to be deceived. On the following day he summoned the two armies to receive their praises and rewards. The Albans came without arms, and were surrounded by the Roman troops. They then heard their sentence. Their dictator was to be torn in pieces by horses driven opposite ways, their city was to be razed to the ground, and they themselves, with their wives and children, transported to Rome. Tullius assigned to them the Celian Hill for their habitation. Some of the noble families of Alba were enrolled among the Roman patricians, but the great mass of the Alban people were not admitted to the privileges of the ruling class. They were the origin of the Roman plebs, who were thus quite distinct from the patricians and their clients. The patricians still formed exclusively the populus, or Roman people, properly so called. The plebs were a subject class without any share in the government. After carrying on several other wars Tullius fell sick, and sought to win the favor of the gods, as Numa had done, by prayers and divination. But Jupiter was angry with him, and smote him and his whole house with fire from heaven. Thus perished Tullius, after a reign of thirty-two years. 4. Reign of Aencius and Arcius. B.C. 640-616. Ancus Marcius, the successor of Tullius Hostilis, was a Sabine, being the son of Numa's daughter. He sought to tread in the footsteps of his grandfather by reviving the religious ceremonies which had fallen into neglect, but a war with the Latins called him from the pursuits of peace. He conquered several of the Latin cities, and removed many of the inhabitants to Rome, where he assigned them the Aventine for their habitation. Thus the number of the plebeians was greatly enlarged, and Cus instituted the fascials, whose duty it was to demand satisfaction from a foreign state when any dispute arose, to determine the circumstances under which hostile, 